Today we have Dan Trapanier from Articles of Style joining us. Dan, great to catch up with you. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Well, I love to hear your story. I've I followed and knew about you as a style blogger, and now I just got my first Articles of Style suit. But I like to start kind of back in like almost where your high school style was and what led you to <laughs> becoming a, a stylish, fashionable guy you are today. That's a long story, man. Um, I mean, high school for me was was not about fashion at all. Um, I mean, I guess fashion played a large role in that. I was an athlete, and uh, you know, even back then, it wasn't the same where basketball was tied to fashion. But uh, you know, there was the, it was part of the game. You know, the way you arrived to the arena and your whole kind of like character off the court. So I, in high school, I was wearing like double XL baggy rockwear jeans and like pelly pelly leather jackets and real just like hood streetwear stuff. Because um, really, you know, ball was life. So what helps you, what makes the transition from from double and triple XL shirts into suiting? Uh, a lot of things, I think. You know, I, I quickly after high school, you know, I was recruited to play basketball in college. So when I took my trip to Columbia, I kind of knew I wanted to be in New York. Um, I grew up on a farm kind of in the middle of nowhere. So on my recruiting visit, I'd never been to a city like that. So I was kind of blown away. Uh, so certainly moving to New York was probably a huge, you know, was a huge influence. Um, going to Columbia was also a big influence in that the kind of Ivy League roots were were still there. Um, but I don't know, it's kind of a it's kind of a gradual thing, you know. I I think a lot of guys in our generation were kind of streetwear heads and sneaker collectors, and that was kind of where the culture was at the moment. And now, I mean, it's, it's shifted completely, you know, it's, you didn't want to be known as like a fashionable guy back then. You want to be cool, but you didn't really want to be like into fashion. Um, now I think a lot of those barriers are broken. So it's, you know, you don't have to be afraid to be like really into clothes. Um, so along with that, the styles change too. If you look at like the influencers, for example, what, you know, Jay-Z was wearing back when I was playing ball in high school versus what, you know, some of these younger hip hop stars are wearing today is completely different, right? It's a lot skinnier. It's a lot more colorful. It's a lot shinier. Um, so I was very much a product of, of the timing as well, I think, in that way. I think even just this week, Casey Neistat is relaunching his vlogs and he's wearing a shirt and a suit every single day. And so you even have that. Casey Neistat's wearing a suit and tie? Every day. It's, I love seeing it. It looks kind of odd, but I'm, now I'm very <laughs> used to it. That's cool. Yeah, I, you, like, I like him a lot. Do you remember any of the people that would have inspired you at the time? Were you following any sites? Uh, you know, we didn't have Instagram back then, but what got you into blogging? Uh, blogging at first was kind of just like a, it was like a creative outlet, you know, um, the backstory is that I was, you know, playing basketball in college. We all lived, my teammates and I, and I all lived in the same house. So I was like the go-to guy for fashion advice, you know. Um, a lot of our guys didn't come from New York, but we all we all lived in New York. So it was kind of an intimidating place. So a lot of my friends would say, hey, you know, uh, we're going out this weekend. What should I wear? Or I just got some money for my birthday. What should I buy? I kind of became that guy, you know. Um, and at some point I just, uh, you know, I, I was like, guys, I can't come to your rooms every weekend and like dress you up, you know, so I'm just going to start a website and write this stuff down for you. Uh, and it was really, really just basic kind of, uh, 
you know, not thinking of it as a business or as a growing a following. And this is before like followers and likes and all that stuff, you know? Um, so that was what drove me to it originally was kind of encouragement by my teammates and just the fact that I was saying the same things over and over to a bunch of guys. Hey, you started to get, uh, some, some really good press. It seems like relatively early on. I mean, I know you you were putting out high quality content. You're actually working with photographers, which, you know, was much more rare back then versus now, you know, every Instagrammer has, uh, photographers they work with. Um, but, but you got a lot of good press and then was there a point where you thought, okay, maybe this could be a business or maybe this is what I want to do after school? I mean, it took a while. It took a while to get there. You know, it was, it was very much a passion project for a long time. At first I wrote anonymously. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't want to be, I guess I was a little shy and it wasn't, it wasn't normal for a guy to be kind of taking fashion photos and putting them on the internet. Um, so for me, it was all about like the information, you know, uh, so I wrote for over a year and, and those old articles are still available online somewhere uh, and didn't say who I was or anything like that. And then, you know, I still grew a following. There was, you know, we had a decent number of commenters and stuff and they all requested to show what I was talking about. You know, uh, I would write, I would describe how to wear something and take like a stock photo and people say, Hey, well, well why can't you show us what it looks like? So at some point I took a, like a selfie in the mirror and this is like a, a digital point-and-shoot camera selfie, old-school style, and uh, put that in one of my articles, and, you know, the comments went through the roof, and it was, like, my, you know, the biggest article I'd written as far as eyeballs go, and that was kind of an aha moment where it's like, okay, well, you know, if we're going to write original content, we should also shoot original content. Um, so from there, it was like, you know, I had my point-and-shoot camera. I would give it to my friends, and they would be uh, my sort of quote-unquote photographer, um, and that just, you know, it grew and grew and grew. The photos were really shitty at first. Um, and then I hired my first actual photographer who was Jenny Lee Thornton. And she had, she actually reached out to me cause she was following the blog and said, I love what you're doing, but your photos suck. And she was right. And, uh, you know, I'd love to kind of intern for you. So she was my first ever intern. And the minute she started, um, our, our site became like a whole different animal, you know, it was very much more professional overnight. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. I didn't, I didn't realize there was such a long period where you were doing purely written content without any, uh, original photography. Well, to answer your, to answer your original question, when did it come become a business? Um, and we, you know, I sold ads pretty early, um, but in a very small scale, you know, when we first started, it was great. Actually, that might've been the most fun time where we were just selling banner ads. You know, we could, you could write whatever you wanted in the article and then the ads were on the side or on the top and you got a couple cents every time the page loaded. And, you know, if you got a million page loads, you made a few grand and it was like, it was awesome. You could do whatever you wanted. It was very freeing. Um, so that was, you know, that started small and grew organically and then eventually that all changed like banner ads kind of went away and it became sponsored content and that was a shift that was like really difficult because now all the freedom of like just writing whatever you wanted was now like okay you got to write this you got to say this you can't say this you got to use this photo so very early on i realized like as the money was going up the product was actually getting worse um, so that was my first kind of feeling of like okay this business model you know, it doesn't really make sense. It doesn't, the growth here is kind of like, you know, it's eating itself up. Um, 
So that was that was the most. It went from being the best part to kind of the hardest part. So were you doing all of this during your time in in school, and then what did you think about you doing that in the future? Yeah, the, the blog was always a side hustle. You know, I was always I was always doing something else. Um, at first, I was in college and playing college basketball, and then uh, for a very short period of time, I worked as a buyer at Saks Fifth Avenue. Um, so I, you know, my blog kind of followed my journey. So I would I would write about the buying experience and what it's like to be a buyer and market appointments and all that stuff. I didn't really like that. So then I, um, long story fell into bespoke clothing. Um, and then I kind of blogged about that. Uh, and then I went back to school for uh, to FIT for menswear design. So really the, the blog was sort of just like my chronicles as I was trying to learn as much as I could uh, about menswear. So, so at one point I'm, you know, working in the bespoke shop doing sales and measuring and fitting. Um, during the afternoon, in the morning, I'm at school learning menswear design. And then, you know, at night I'm writing articles and, and taking people's questions about what I just wrote, which is everything I was doing that day. So it was really kind of everything I was doing was kind of feeding itself. Uh, and that made it really easy to create kind of new content because it was new for me as well. Yeah, that was tough. Um, we really wanted to get away from the word blogger um, at that time. You know, I was I always thought what we were doing was not really blogging um, because when blogs started to get popular, it was it was more of what you see on Instagram, which is like a guy taking a you know an outfit photo, and it was more about that guy's outfit. Whereas we were trying to like explain things about fabric and fit and bespoke versus ready to wear and, and do something that has a little bit more information and is less about the person. Um, so that was a period of time when I was almost embarrassed to say I was a blogger. Uh, you know, I would tell people that and then be like, Oh, so, you know, so am I. And so is my mom. And I was just like, you know what, that's not really what we're doing. Um, so TSB men was obviously short form for the style blogger. Um, which was a terrible name change because everyone would just say, well, what's TSB stand for? And I would just say the style blogger. So we'd be right back in square one. Um, and it was a terrible name to say over the phone. I remember people being like, TBS, TS what, what? Um, so that was, that was probably a poor name change. And then when we rebranded to Articles of Style, that was probably a more positive name change. But still a name I don't think our whole team is completely satisfied with at the moment. Yeah, that's, that's one of the hardest things is choosing the right name for your company, especially because you guys, obviously, you're a, you're a menswear company, and that's that's the business, but you're still producing really good content, you know, and, and also, you know, with your emails, figuring out how to reorganize and repurpose content that's already, that's already up. So um, it's definitely a multifaceted business you have. Yeah, you know, I wish I wish we could do more content. You know, the the whole concept, even the name, right? It's it's a double entendre. It's it's meant to be both content and commerce. Uh, we're kind of in an awkward place now as a very young um, brand, where you know we're getting more orders than we can handle, while we also produce content. You know, we're a small team of of four, 
Um, and there's just there's just a lot to do because every order every order comes with custom fittings and takes a, a fair amount of my time. So while I wish my day was like writing and doing photo shoots and 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 that kind of stuff, most of my day right now is dealing with customers' patterns and fit questions in the factory. So um, our main goal right now is to scale our fulfillment to be able to make the the fitting process a lot smoother and more efficient so that we can free up our team. Uh, to do better content marketing. That's that's really the sweet spot for us. I think we're we're really good creative marketers as far as content goes. And once we get back to that, um, I think people will finally see what we've been working on for like 10 years, you know? So what was your path from the TSB rebranding and then becoming Articles of Style and starting to do your own clothing? Because that's a huge shift that... Uh, we talked about earlier, you did that years before what people are doing now from Instagram. So I'd just love to to hear a little bit of that. Um, yeah, that was, you know, like many huge shifts, it takes, uh, it takes a, a big personal journey as well. You know, I mean, for me, it was, I was ready to give it up. You know, it got to a point where I remember doing this sponsored post. I don't know, it was for, for Kenneth Cole or, or Calvin Klein or someone like that. And uh, I just didn't want to do it. You know, it was they were going to pay us like five grand or something to do this one piece three ways with one of their bags or something like that. And I got the bag in the mail and it was just like it was such a terrible bag. So I, I just couldn't I couldn't do it. You know, I couldn't hawk this product on our readers um, with a clean conscience. So I was like, you know what, this is I'm kind of done with this. I don't I don't want to do this type of content anymore. And that was when, uh, you know, so basically moved from New York to L.A. just to like do something different, you know, figure it out. I was kind of said, you know, tell all of our sponsors and all of our all these brands that are reaching out to us that we're, we're out of the business. We're not doing that anymore. Um, we're going to figure out what we're going to do next and kind of just went to L.A. to like live in the mountains, you know, and just kind of free my mind and and that was the only plan and and from that there was a series of events that led to articles of style so it wasn't really the plan in in that sense it was more just like okay i gotta get i, I gotta make a change here you know we had this following it was and it was a good one but we weren't delivering a value you know it was like the more we just hawk these shitty products the, the, the smaller and smaller our following is going to get or at least the the, the less impact our content's going to have on them right um so through that, you know, I, uh, I I met up with Pat Foley, who was our point guard in college and one of the smartest guys I knew. He was working at Google in San Francisco with uh, Will Howe, and those guys were kind of feeling similar. They're like, you know, we're, we're working at Google. It's a cushy job. You know, I could see the future here, but I, I want to make a move and I want to take a risk. So I got lucky and kind of was able to pick up two, you know, 4-0 Ivy League cats to take what we had and, and transition into something else. So it kind of takes a lot of brain power to figure that one out. Um, and through that, I mean, you know, a lot of what we were doing on the blog was reviewing products similar to what you guys do. So it was obvious because we had the advantage where I was working at Michael Andrews Bespoke, making these customs, you know, designing my own suits essentially and then shooting them for the blog. And then people were like, well, I want that suit. Can where can I buy that suit? So there's, we were already promoting a, a custom product that I was designing. And on top of that, we were reviewing every product we can get our hands on. So, you know, I had done a dozen 
um, fittings with companies like Indochino or Black Lapel or those kind of brands, online custom. And it was always so disappointing. You know, it was the aha moment was kind of like uh, the in-person bespoke experience is so great and takes, you know, makes it so easier, easy on the customer and they don't have to worry about anything and they get, they get a great service. But online, it's really bad. You know, the quality of the garment's terrible. There's no service at all. You got to measure yourself. So I kind of had my eye on that space, trying to take what we do in person in the bespoke shop, uh, especially from a service element, and applying that uh, online to our following. So that kind of like whiff of an idea was there. And then when Will and Pat came on board and we had many long... uh, brainstorm nights in LA where we kind of came up with the concept of the fitting and found the factory and, and all that good stuff. And how did you either know about Southwick or connect with Southwick? Did you tour other factories? Uh, why did you go made in the USA? Do you want to hit on all of those in one area? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, given what we wanted to do with the fitting garments, uh, we were limited, you know, it was, it was challenging to find a factory that Um, could deliver a try-on garment that was custom-made at the price we needed, in the timeline we needed. Um, The concept was very kind of new and still is for people in that, you know, we're doing something between made-to-measure and bespoke, and there's no measurements taken at all. Um, So we had to kind of find a factory who believed in us and was, you know, kind of believed in what we were trying to do because – when you start something like that, you know, it's going to take a lot of testing and everyone's got to be on the same page and what's the try on garment look like? What's it made out of? How's it shipped? How long, you know, all of that good stuff. So we had a few factories in mind. We, we tested a couple Chinese factories and it just it logistically didn't make sense and the garment wasn't where it needed to be. And uh, we bumped into Southwick uh, randomly at a trade show. Uh, you know, as I often say in interviews, so much of of the of the path is is random chance uh and seeing opportunity and kind of pursuing it so it's really hard to you know predict where you're gonna go it's more important to just like see what makes sense and and follow that path so we met them i didn't know who southwick was uh we were getting paid by a trade show to to do content to cover the show it was liberty fairs or something like that and uh you know, we just, our booth was not far from theirs and the guy at the booth had a cool suit on. So I was like, Hey man, what do you do? And he's, he's like, Oh, I represent Southwick. And then that was kind of the beginning of that. And then, you know, hundreds of samples later and lots of long meetings and all that. And the kind of journey was on. That's very cool. Yeah. So much of that does become chance. I was surprised that you actually keep the fitting garments and I've ended up wearing the pants from the fitting garment just as like an office uh, an office outfit. I thought that was really interesting. Good, man. Good. Yeah. I mean, the whole concept of, of articles of style clothing is, uh, is ease for the customer, right? I mean, you can do the whole thing sitting on the toilet. Uh, and that was important to us. You know, you, you don't have to measure yourself. You don't have to get anything. You don't have to do a body scan. You, you just answer a few questions. We make the try on, you never have to go to the post office. Uh, so all you really have to do is answer a few questions and take four photos and we kind of do the rest. And that was kind of one of our core principles was, was how do you make this as easy as possible? Yeah. You seem to, um, have been able to build like a really awesome team. And I know you've talked a little bit about, uh, Will, you know, and, and some, and some of the guys that came on, um, when you were starting articles of style, when you, when you moved out to LA, but 
um, you, you've had you've had Alex and Wes on board for a while, or at least you know in your life for a while. So, any tips or advice for other entrepreneurs who are at the point where they want to build a team? Um, you know, how do you how do you do that? How do you make sure you hire the right people, or partner with the right people? Hmm. Uh, man, I, you know it's it's a challenge. I mean, first and foremost, you, you really don't want to hire anyone unless you absolutely need to. Um, you know, you, you learn that quickly because if there's something you can do yourself, you probably should until you can't do it anymore. You know, so I, I did it kind of on my own, um, for as long as I could, even while I had a job and while I was in school and, you know, I was sometimes telling clients in the bespoke shop to like, you know, hold on a second and then go to the bathroom and take a conference call and, you know. And that was when I realized, okay, now I need some help, you know. So first and foremost, I would make sure you need the help before you hire someone. Um, and then from there, it was, you know, trying to find guys who, A, were passionate about what we're doing. That, that I think, is most important. Uh, you know, it's a very difficult thing to do, and there are long days, and there are, you know, days when you feel like you're not going to make it through. And if, if guys don't believe and, and what you're trying to accomplish, and it's going to be a lot, a lot harder, you know. So, I'm blessed with guys who are, who are fully committed, and they see the vision, and they see the growth, and and uh, even when days are long and tough, they're, you know, they, they're enjoying the process. Um, so that's probably first. Is um, from there, uh, you know, it was guys that needed to be kind of multi-talented too. I mean, like you said, uh, you know, our business touches a lot of a lot of different things. You know, we're we're a publisher, we have a photography department, we have our own custom tech, we have our own fitting process, we have factory relationships. So we're across a lot of different things with four guys. Um, you know, customer service is his own animal and just controlling the inbox. So every guy, when you look at our team, does a lot of different things. You know, you look at a guy like like Will or Wes, like they could be meeting with a client, showing them fabrics, taking measurements, doing investor calls. Uh, modeling the clothing, doing styling on the mannequins, uh, you know, hosting events, speaking on panels. These are these are guys that really can do. You know, I can trust them to do just about anything, uh, and that was critical. Um, but all of this came out of a friendship first. I think you know these are for me. It was all about fun. You know, it was like I don't want to. Yeah, I think I started this really because I didn't want to have a job. So when I was hiring, I was like, who are guys that I actually want to hang out with, you know? Um, so, every, you know, all these guys are kind of like brothers. And that, again, that camaraderie makes it a lot easier to, to kind of push through harder times. And on the financial side, like you mentioned, investor calls, is that part of the, the big picture is raising money, uh, bringing in investors, or are you trying to keep it um, kind of, you know, in, in the family right now? Uh, we're raising right now. We're, we're, we're looking to raise a million dollars right now um, through angel investors. So that's a whole nother full-time job, which kind of sucks, to be honest. Um, we, we go back and forth. Will and I go back and forth. You know, it's, it's, it's really a roller coaster ride. You know, we're, we're pretty much self-funded off the sales. Um, so, you know, you can wake up one morning and you sold 10 suits that night and, you know, you had a $15,000 sleep and that feels great. Um, and then you go, you know, five days without selling anything and you're ready to pull your hair out. So it's, it's very much, uh, an up and down feeling while you, you know, you fund your whole business off the sales you're making. 
uh, we've been able to do that and we've been able to grow. So that's the good news. But in some ways too, it's, it's, it's a race, you know, there, this is a very competitive space and there's a lot of big money companies, um, trying to be innovative in the space, you know? Um, so for example, there's, there's, there's a long list of things on the tech side that we like to accomplish and that would make our life a lot easier. For example, we we're in a position now where we could automate the basted, uh, the try on garments or, or at least, you know, almost automate the measurements of the try on garments. So that would save me 20 minutes every order. Um, that's a pretty intensive build and it involves some data manipulation and measurement algorithm work. Uh, so that's going to take, you know, a significant amount of time on development. And Ben is our only developer and he's, you know, he's the one who's really underwater. You know, I got him working on front end stuff. I got him working on back end stuff, on database stuff, on measurement algorithm stuff. So we really need the help on the tech, on the tech side. So uh, if we could pour some money there, we could get uh, further ahead a lot faster and get to that place where we want to be, where we're actually a content marketing company that also sells the products in our content. And the fulfillment of those products is, is, is getting closer and closer to automation. That sounds like that'd be amazing. <laughs> yeah. If I had a million dollars today, I'd have a whole different set of problems. The problems wouldn't go away. Um, it would just be uh, bigger, you know, bigger problems. And is there anybody, obviously, there's, there's still a, a whole set of, you know, bespoke, in-person only, bespoke suit makers. There's a probably even larger set and growing set of online only made to measure and you guys are seem to be one of the only companies that's doing something in between. Is there anybody else? Uh, there's a, there's a lot of ways to skin a cat, you know. Um, I think in some ways we, you know, what, what we've seen, what's been inter- interesting to me is that we have some clients who are who are coming up the scale. Um, so you know, they were shopping at J Crew or Suit Supply, and they want something that's fits them a little better, is a little more quality. They can design it themselves, something unique. Um, and then we also have guys who you know, that's usually a younger guy. That's a guy in kind of his late twenties or whatever. And then you got a guy, you know, we also have the guy who's in his fifties, sixties, and he's been buying bespoke clothing or, or, or Savile Row made clothing. And, you know, he's looking for something that's easier to purchase a lower price point, but the same kind of like service and design. So, um, it's interesting to see, to hear comparisons um, from from kind of both sides, you know that that's been a huge advantage for us, being a blog and now being a brand is we always have direct feedback from our readers and our customers. So um, it's a it's a competitive space. I think at the end of the day, um, what we're trying to do is combine the sort of best parts of designer ready to wear with the best parts of like the service of bespoke and wrap it all up in a package that is like the best parts of a good fashion magazine, which is virtually impossible to find today. Um, so I, I, the branding is really what it comes down to. You know, I, I always uh, often say that the, there's no worse brands in fashion than custom clothers. Um, so it's really a space that's wide open for to take some of the cool factor you find in a brand like Gucci or YSL, you know, those are brands that are selling cool they're selling design and they're selling, um, you know, garments versus most of these players in the custom space are selling, you know, uh, a fit service and not really the garment itself. Well, I think you also have the wind at your back in the shift of menswear overall. I think you are seeing men 
younger guys getting more into suiting, there's still the streetwear and there's still, you know, people wearing their business casual. Yeah, I wonder about that. You know, I, I wonder about that a lot. You know, in some ways, I feel like we're all living in our own bubbles these days, you know. So when I go to my Instagram and I see everything is suiting, it's easy for me to be like, oh, suiting's on the rise, you know. Uh, but then I go outside and I see, you know, the lines for Supreme are six blocks long and most people are wearing athleisure sweatpants and yoga pants stuff like that i'm like is suiting really on the rise you know um so it's i think there's competing there's competing thoughts there um i think there is a growing it it, it seems like men are caring more about their appearance in general you know what no matter what aesthetic they're into it's just like kind of like you were saying like it used to be cool not to care. Now it's cool to care. Yeah, I mean, everyone, I think everyone's trying to flex, you know, um, with the Instagram. And, and people are taking photos of themselves more than ever. Um, whether or not they're dandies who are wearing bow ties and pocket squares uh, like Raphael in their, in their flex, um, that's, I think that's, that's, I don't know what the numbers are on that, you know. But the guys who do love it, they're getting deeper and deeper, right? So... Um, it's, you do have guys who are, are, are into tailoring and really into tailoring and, you know, follow all these accounts and trying to learn everything they can. So I think there's a growing base of niche interests kind of across the board with, with what's happening with social. Yeah, for sure. I think sky's the limit. Cause you know, even if you take, if you just survey all men, just take American adult men and, you know, most of them don't even know about custom even to us, it seems like companies like Indochino, for example, are just huge. But I think most guys still don't really know about, you know, made to measure or online custom. And, you know, the vast majority of guys have had have never or will never go bespoke. So I think there's, you know, you guys are obviously doing well so far. But I, I mean, I really think sky's the limit. I hope so. I mean, I mean, a company like Indochino is a huge company yeah, for sure, you know, Um but it's it's hard to say. I mean, the good news is we, we sell a product that is relatively timeless and that applies and appeals to just about any man, you know. Guys might not love tailoring or, or like to be dandy, but they certainly need a good suit every once in a while. You know, everyone has a wedding or an interview or, or something of that nature. So um, even if it's not the guy who's, you know, wearing contrast vests with his three-piece suits, there is a very large number of guys who want that good suit and it's it's been part of our culture for over 100 years and it isn't really going anywhere right so um there's always that sort of need in a guy's wardrobe dan something you mentioned in the interview with rafael is that you were working on like big shifts and changes is there any anything you can point to uh, of what you've done in that time Always, man. Always big shifts and changes. Um, most of our big shifts currently are all internal. Um, you know, it's it's really the process now. You know, we've gotten to the point where we're selling so many garments that if we can't make the process more efficient, we're just going to struggle. So most of that is is internal tech at the moment. Um, big shifts that I see in the future for us is like we've been talking about is, is freeing, freeing up the, the core team from the necessary steps of fulfillment and being able to focus on content again, especially video content. I think there's, you know, if, if it was up to me, we would be a production company, you know, 
Um, but that's just that's kind of in due time. Yeah, and you know all the technology companies are investing in video and they're promoting that. So I think you've got. Uh, it sounds like you have a ton on your plate. Well, uh, I would point. I mean, there's a lot of things we want to do. You know, it's like. Uh, you know, the women's market, I think, is something that is wide open. Um, so that's a whole, you know, there, there's a lot of big picture stuff and people love to talk big picture. But unfortunately, currently, I have to talk very small picture down to the eighth of an inch. You know what I mean? So um, I'm kind of drowning in that. I tell you, it's, it's hard to even plan the next kind of like six months. Yeah, I definitely hear you there. Well, I would point people at Articles of Style, the website, but then also if you want to see Dan singing Leon Bridges in his car, check out Instagram and the Instagram stories. That song's been stuck in my head since uh, <laughs> since you put that video up, so I really... <laughs> that song's yeah, on repeat so really around here that. all the time. You guys like the stories? Are you guys into the stories? Yeah, I, I find that it's a, an interesting mix between, like, you'll see you behind the scenes, but then you'll put your like your actual content on there as well. To me, I always think of Instagram as like, as kind of quicker content behind the scenes, a little bit like behind the peak, but then sometimes you'll have like a whole series of 15 photos showing your current collection. And I'd, I look at all of them, so I don't know how other people use Instagram. Yeah, I think we're somewhat confused there, to be honest. Um, you know, we're throwing a lot of kind of spaghetti at the wall Luckily, people are completely obsessed and addicted to Instagram, so they'll pretty much watch whatever has a blinking light on it that's new. <laughs> uh, I think we're struggling with kind of like, you know, we do a lot of things on it. Like everyone in our team has control of the Instagram, and I'm always kind of encouraging those guys to share their their perspective as well. But my view on that is just like you have someone's attention, you know, you should just put it right in front of them. Uh, I think it's funny when people like put a story that says, you know, go to my go to my feed for the for this photo again and then you go to the feed and they say go to my uh, you know bio page for the link to this blog post and then you go to the blog post and it's like all the same content and I'm just like well you had me at the story why don't you just give me what what you wanted to give me in, you know in the first place yeah that's one that definitely drives me crazy is when you have a story showing the feed and they block out the new photo telling you to go to the new photo uh, that's <laughs> like what's the point like what's the point of that yeah i don't know but like i, I liked um a few weeks ago will shared a video from russia uh showing right. like hey this is what i'm working on i think that's that's the cool stuff i know personally i just like seeing the building and the process versus some other things so yeah i would say check out the story yeah that that's been a, a you know another thing is like you know some people are watching for the kind of the journey of the squad too you know and i always kind of that's been my philosophy is the more these guys know us and appreciate the journey the more likely they are to, to become customers down the road you know absolutely so i would point people at the instagram and and the website you can you can also see my video i reviewed them after purchasing it and really like the process and so uh, good luck with your fundraising good luck with uh, building out the team sounds like you know what you need to do now you're just working on the execution and that's really cool yeah man head down eyes forward awesome well, thanks for coming on the button up podcast and uh, we'll talk to you soon dan Thank you for listening to the Buttoned Up Podcast, a collaboration between John Shanahan of The Cavalier and Brock McGough of Modest Man, and we'll see you next week.